0: Hey Hills Church, it is great to be with you. I want to welcome everybody who is live at one of our campuses or if you're joining us online or later on podcast. So we are here at the last week of the series Kingdom Come, for the last 11 weeks. Can you believe it's been that long? And some of you are like, yes, I can. I've been listening to that music for 11 weeks and it's stuck in my head. Um, it, uh, it's it been an awesome series. It's been one of my favorite that we've done since the time I've been part of the Hills Church and just... just Establishing this idea that when Jesus came to earth, he announced a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And then throughout his three-year ministry on earth, Jesus taught about this kingdom more than anything else. And helped us understand this idea that God is bringing a new kind of community through the kingdom. That God is coming to reach the lost and bring them into the kingdom of those who are found. That God is working against the forces of darkness and bringing a kingdom that provides light and hope. And we've talked about all these characteristics of this kingdom and that Jesus is the king. And now we're going to end with the end. With what Jesus says as he describes The kingdom, not just come, but the kingdom complete. Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus paints this picture. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Jesus, as He often does, uses this kingdom language to describe His return to earth in his glory and this will be a moment when Jesus and this is where it's hard to describe when Jesus brings the kingdom and yet he came to earth and he announced the kingdom of God is at hand so he brought the kingdom in the first place when he came to earth and at the same time there's a day when he's coming to bring all of the kingdom so the kingdom's here and at the same time there's more of the kingdom that is still yet to be and it can kind of be hard to describe hard to process. Like what, what what does this mean? Because the kingdom is a current reality and yet there's a future promise. So what is this about? There's a fancy pants answer for this. And some of you know, I like to nerd out on fancy pants answers sometimes. And the phrase, I just want to want to teach you a fun little theological phrase. The $7 phrase is inaugurated eschatology. Just live at one of our campuses, go ahead and practice that for a second. Say that out loud. Feel fancy for a second. Put your pinky up. Inaugurated eschatology. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You can uh, just save that little little morsel for some time in Thanksgiving meal and just drop that. See how the relatives react. Boy, this feast really reminds me of inaugurated eschatology. <laughs> I love that phrase, but here's the, there's the simple way to say this. What that, what that phrase helps us to understand is in the kingdom of God, there is the already and the not yet. So The kingdom of God has already come to earth through the person, Jesus Christ. He announced that there is a kingdom, he is the king, and that kingdom is a reality on earth we can experience today. That that means that for everybody who's a follower of Jesus, you are already part of the kingdom. You are already experiencing the freedom inside of the kingdom, the hope inside of the kingdom. If you have faith in Christ, you've experienced the salvation, and you have a promise of a full salvation Because though we have already been invited into the kingdom and can experience the kingdom today, we have not yet known the kingdom in full. We have not yet experienced a world without evil. We have not yet been freed from the bondage of sin and death completely. And so we already have a taste of the kingdom. And that's really what we've been processing these these last 11 weeks of the series, But today, part of what we're going to wrestle with is that there is a not yet. There is a promise when Jesus will come in glory with his angelic host, when he will be seated on the throne in a way that is not just like we talked about last week, why he left as he went up to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God in the throne room. It was a great message, but today we're going to talk about why he's coming back. And as we do that, If you're taking notes, I want to start with a a short first answer that that will help guide some of the rest of our, our thoughts. To begin with, why is Jesus coming back? To keep his promises. We're going to do this briefly before we get into the meat of the message, but this needs to be said. What God does flows from who God is. God's activity is the product of his identity. Now, to to help you understand this, when we see who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus and in the, the inspired scriptures, we see a God who is faithful, a God who is true, a God in whom there is no falsehood or deceit. And that means God is trustworthy. So what does God do? Well, because he's faithful, because of his identity, he keeps his promises. Just as a side note, like, this is not only true of God, but it's also true of how God made you. That what you do flows from your understanding of who you are. Like, there's, there's too many of us that will come into church, and our strategy is, I need to understand better activity. No, what God answers with first is, you need a better identity. You need to know who you are in Christ before you will live out a Christ-like life. That's how this works. Because we're made in God's image, and what God does flows from who God is. Now, I, I could preach on that for a long time, but we got to keep moving. So suffice it to say, the kingdom of God is the result of the nature of God. God is king, and God is the eternal community, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what does God do? God makes a kingdom, a new community, in which he can relate not only to his uncreated self, but to his creation to his people. And out of that, God, as one who is trustworthy, keeps his promises. So throughout the Old Testament, I was looking this week, there's too many verses to listen, I won't won't try, but throughout the prophetic promises of Isaiah and Daniel and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Zephaniah and Malachi and so many others, there's a promise of the kingdom of a time when God reigns, and there's lots of metaphors used for this, of a, 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 a husband and a bride. There's, there's a metaphor of a feast that God will host in front of the nations. There's this idea of God reigning, and that there's a promise that God will send a king, a redeemer, a messiah, and then because God is faithful, he sent Jesus, and Jesus came to keep the promise. Jesus then teaches about this kingdom. He shows what the kingdom is about. He announces the kingdom. He brings the kingdom. He fights against the forces of evil. And then, as Jesus promised, he died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, to upend the current powers and authorities. And then he rose from the grave to show that in his kingdom, he reigns supreme even over death because he's a promise keeper. Then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and Jesus promised that he would come back. And so because of who God is, we believe in what he is going to do. See, this is the, the peace right now. This is the promise that is yet unfulfilled. But one of the things I try and tell myself is, as a follower of Jesus, because I trust in who God is, his return, Jesus bringing the kingdom in full, is a historical fact that has just not taken place yet. It is going to happen because God is faithful and therefore he keeps his promises. Jesus promised he would return but not only that, he even, he even had his disciples hear a message from an angel right after Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts 1. An angel tells his closest followers this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the promise. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, It will not just be that he brings the kingdom come. It will be that we will experience the kingdom complete. That it will come in full. That the not yet will finally be realized and established and consummated. And the kingdom of God will overtake and overwhelm and overthrow all the kingdoms that currently grab at power. And when Jesus does this, The rest of the message, what we're going to unpack is, okay, so if Jesus is coming and he's he's going to keep his promise, he will return. He will prove that he is the one faithful voice we can trust and rely on no matter what. When he comes, why is he coming back? Why Why is he coming back? What is he going to do? Now, since we already got fancy with inaugurated eschatology, we're going to keep these two big points in this message. Really, really simple, really, really plain language. And the first is this. Jesus is coming back to end everything wrong. Jesus will put a stop to everything that's broken and evil in this world. And isn't that good news for us? Like, Jesus is coming and he's going to set everything. Like, he's going to to set and, and deal with everything that's wrong. He's gonna address everything that should not be and doesn't belong. He is going to do away with it. That's good news. And we get excited about it. This is one of my favorite things to get to talk about and preach about because it's a hope that we cling to that Jesus is gonna end everything wrong. But part of what I came here today to tell you is that the way Jesus will bring this good news about is through something called judgment. Record scratch. What? I wanna convince you today that judgment is actually part of God's good news, not separate from it. See, Jesus, over and over again, as he describes his ministry and his authority, Jesus explains that God has given him, and it's, and it's to Jesus. As the king of the kingdom, he's going to be the one to judge. I want to let you hear from Jesus. In John 5, he says, Moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Now Jesus, I've actually preached on this a few weeks back inside the series. Jesus came, first and foremost, as he announces the kingdom, not to judge the world, but to save the world. But Jesus promises a day when he will return and he will judge. But for us, like we, we, we kind of wrestle with, like, what does that mean? And yet, for, for the earliest Christians, this was a message that they continued to share, over and over again, as they talked about the return of Christ, they talked about this moment of judgment. But it was part of their good news. Listen to one follower of Jesus named Paul. He's preaching to a group of, uh, of Greek non-believers. And here's what he says in a short little sermon. For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul's a clever missionary. He's talking to these people who don't know Jesus, but he's telling them about Jesus without saying his name. It's a kind of intro to get them interested. But the promise is he will judge the world with justice. See, for us, we kind of, we like to separate those two concepts, judgment and justice. Judgment gets a bad rap. We live in a day and age in which, especially for younger generations, uh, millennial and, and, and down, like the idea of being a judgmental person, that's one of the harshest things that you could tell me, is that I'm judgy. I don't want to be that way. We we live in a a society that that values tolerance and acceptance. And in in some sense, that's that's very good. And, and, And at the same time, what's interesting about our world today is that for all the ways that interpersonally we don't like judgment, on a grand scale, we cry out for justice. We look at the corruption that happens in the world. We look at oppressive systems and powers and governments. We look at the systemic evils of sexism and racism and so many other things that happen in our world and we have a group of people who are quick to cry out for capital J, justice. We need justice to be done. If they see injustice or corruption, if they see evil, if they see abuse of power, they say, that is wrong, we need justice. But those same people will interpersonally say, don't judge me. Here's our challenge today. We live in a world that wants justice but doesn't want judgment. And Jesus, as the king, when he brings the kingdom in full, we'll find out those you can't separate those two. There is no justice without some form of judgment. We have to understand this. We're so quick to make this about personal judgment. And in one sense, Jesus says very clearly that that's going to happen the standing for him as the king, the one who's in charge, all people from all ages will give an account for their life. We can't blunt that sword. That's a terrifying thought. But right alongside that real promise of judgment, we also preach mercy that comes through Jesus who came to save God doesn't desire anyone to perish, but desires all to come to a knowledge and trust in him so that they can experience salvation. That's the promise of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The good news is he faced your judgment on the cross so that that day you would not experience judgment. You would experience mercy. That's available today. That's why we share this news today. That's why we support mission work today, because through the good news, people experience salvation today and on judgment day. That's what we preach and at the same time, what we need to understand is that judgment is good news, not just because of, oh, well, the, the, through, through personal judgment. It's not just about that. It's about that capital J justice that we long for. You see, when Jesus comes, he's not like an earthly judge who still measures out their decisions and their verdicts in limited knowledge and limited wisdom. Jesus has perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom. He will be a perfectly just judge. And he will not only bring judgment on people, he will bring judgment on the powers of evil and darkness and sin. See, that's part of what the good news of judgment is about. Paul, that same missionary, is writing to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth, and he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, I want the king to bring the kingdom in full, because on that day we will have a warrior king who will defeat death who will do away with forces I cannot stand up against, who will do away with forces that have created systemic evil and pain and violence throughout human history, and we cannot defeat those powers. We are still experiencing some form of bondage. We still experience that violence and pain, but Jesus the King, when he brings the kingdom in full, will say, that doesn't get the last word anymore. That evil will be done away with. He will end everything wrong, and that happens through the good news of his perfect judgment. Even Satan, the accuser, will be judged and done away with, and death will die. This is the promise of the kingdom come in full, and we want this, I promise. Like, we long for this. God, It's a God-given desire in our hearts that we cry out for this kind of justice. And there are times where we look at what's in the world, and we look at especially the the tangled web of of systemic evil and systemic racism or sexism, and, and we go, I don't exactly know how to fix all this, but I know it's wrong. And there is a king coming who knows how to fix all this. There is a king coming who knows how to meter out perfect justice. That's the promise. But not only will he end everything that's wrong through judgment, he will end everything that's wrong through perfect healing. This isn't just true on a global scale. This is also true for each of us personally. One of Jesus' other followers, a man named John, he writes in a book called Revelation, He has this prophetic vision inspired by the Holy Spirit to see a, a, a forward glimpse of the kingdom coming in its fullness and the king returning. The promise of the kingdom coming in its fullness is that God will do away with everything that is not of him and does not belong in his kingdom. And so John is inspired to not describe just what he sees. He describes, notice, what he doesn't see. Describes the kingdom in part by what is no longer there. There will be no more. And then he begins this list. And I wonder, based on what you've experienced in your life, in your family, how would you finish that sentence? There will be no more. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more miscarriages. There'll be no more PTSD. There'll be no more war. There'll be no more abuse. No more addiction. There will be no more school shootings. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more chronic pain. There will be no more cerebral palsy or multiple sclerosis. There will be no more autoimmune diseases. There will be no more wheelchairs. There will be no more hospitals. There will be no more dentist offices. Thank you Lord. There will be no more funeral homes. There will be no more dialysis clinics. There will be no more DMV. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more loneliness. There be no more depression. There will be no more despair. And through this unending list of no mores, we will experience full healing like we can only taste today. It's been... Um, it's been about three years ago that my brother Riley had uh, had an accident and ended up with a bunch of shattered glass in his arm. The doctors operated on it and pulled out uh, pulled out the glass. Got you know got got it out, and uh, and the, uh, yet after the operation, his arm was never the same. It grew increasingly sensitive. Where there were certain spots where if, if he was touched or bumped, he would just just wince and just have searing pain. So he eventually, earlier this year, scheduled an appointment. Went back to. Uh, to a different doctor and and uh, the doctor cut open his arm began to to kind of look around and operate and and then uh, the doctor said oh (laughs) Riley looked he's like what and after the operation Riley sent my family through our text thread this this picture I don't know how well you can see this but there's a half inch long piece of glass that had been left in his arm when the doctor saw it he he said oh my goodness I, I can't believe somebody missed this And for the last three years, my brother had been carrying that around in his arm, causing all this pain. I I talked to him this week, and, and he was like, man, it is night and day compared to what it was. He's so happy. Look, there will come a day when Jesus, the King, will come as the great physician and he will wipe every tear from our eye. He will remove every piece of emotional and physical and spiritual shrapnel that still wounds us and hurts us. There are pains that we carry around that we don't even know right now. We can't even speak to them. They make us ache. They're worries that keep us up at night. They're insecurities we dare not vocalize and yet Jesus will come and bring full healing and all of that will be gone. Before my brother's operation, he could he could operate, he could work he could work, he could live, but not without pain. And in that that's where we're living right now in that already, and the not yet. But there will come a day. So I'd think a little bit about my. Uh, my foot, if you've been with us this fall, uh, I broke my foot in September. I've been preaching, sitting down for the last couple months. And hope, Lord willing, we'll see. Uh, it's up to God's grace. But maybe this will be my last time to preach sitting down. I get teased sometimes that half the time it looks like I want to get up. And I do. I do. I promise. <laughs> but I'm, I'm in the already in the not yet. My, my foot has already been operated on. I'm already experiencing healing. I can already stand and put a little bit of weight on my foot. But I cannot yet run. I cannot yet stand for a whole sermon without getting distracted and in pain. I cannot yet go to the park and run and play with my kids. But the doctor said there's going to come a day, Lord willing, where I'll be able to go do whatever and I won't be thinking about my foot. And then I thought, that's a little glimpse of the kingdom. We'll be able to go and live and do and be with Jesus and we won't be thinking about whatever it is that grabs your attention and still hurts. Whatever wounds we carry, they will be fully healed. Praise God. But it's not only that the kingdom will end everything that is wrong. It's that when Jesus returns and brings the kingdom complete, then he won't just take away what's bad. He will bring a fullness and a joy and a wholeness that we can barely know right now. So it's not only that he ends everything that is wrong, he also will make everything right right as defined by Him as the King. Like, there is there is a sense of wholeness and joy that we we get a taste of right now through the Holy Spirit who's in us. See, the Holy Spirit uh, is described as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Spirit brings about some sense of hope and joy and strength. And it's a foretaste of what's promised when Jesus returns, when He will come and And he will keep his promise and he will make everything. Let me let him use his language. In Revelation 21, John witnesses and says, He who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus. Jesus said, I am making everything new. Live at our campuses, will you you say that out loud with me? I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus says to those of us looking into eternity, hoping for it, waiting for his return, these words are trustworthy. These words are true. I'm going to keep this promise, and I am making everything new. Thought about that, that word, that idea, and there's kind of two ways that we can understand it and both give a glimpse of the truth. There's the sense of New, being being the way that most of us use it, you know, it's it's brand new. It's it's pristine. It's 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 fresh. Like I I thought about, you know, for 2019, it's my my year is going to be marked by the birth of my daughter Imogen, who was born last month, and she's this newborn baby. And there's there's just nothing like a newborn. It's amazing how seeing a new child will draw out the, the 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 inner child from so many adults who other, otherwise, like they'll come up to me and, and like if my wife is standing near me in the lobby, this has already happened uh, since, since my daughter's birth, my wife is, is standing next to me with the lobby with the baby, uh, then somebody will come out and, and be a very, you know, a very put-together church person. And they'll, they'll walk up and they'll be like, that's a great sermon. I really appreciate that. And some of those people are a little more serious. They talk in pear-shaped tones. And, you know, they're, they're a little more just, just kind of reserved, that kind of a person. Then they'll turn and they'll see my daughter, my newborn daughter. And the new will draw out of their, the great sermon. I really appreciate And look at you. You're so cute. And it's like that draws out that inner child. I don't know what it is. But those moments, they embed in us deeply. They impact us. We feel them. And you can talk about it and feel that sense again. But even though they embed in us deeply, they pass so quickly. New fades just like that. I know. I'm trying to treasure these moments because I know that I've got this newborn daughter and I'm going to blink and she will be a toddler who is wet the bed. Like new goes so quick. And yet, what if, what if part of the kingdom... Is this idea of new, pristine, clean, fresh, and it will never fade away? It is always new, ever new. But there's another way we can understand this phrase because Jesus says, I am making all things new. He does not say, I am making all new things. Jesus is not starting over, He is bringing a work to completion. And this is a work of restoration. See, when God created the world, He, God, is good. And so out of His identity flowed this activity. He made a world that's good. And He said it's good. And He made a place where the realm of humanity was overlapped with the realm of deity and God walked with Adam and Eve with His perfect creation. But the point wasn't just to stay in a garden. God told man and woman, go multiply flourish tend care for the care for the world and the idea was there was going to be growth and progression and so as John tells about the new heavens and the new earth it is not just that it's oh it's back to a garden no it's better than that it is a garden that has experienced flourishing and spreading and now it's a city a collection of gardens and there's a river like in Eden. There's a tree like in Eden. There's so many things that point back to Genesis 1 and yet it's even better. It's even more developed. It's not just Eden, it is Jerusalem, the city of peace, God's shalom, this wholeness, everything right and good and true brought in a way that, well, that through Jesus we can only taste right now. Through the Spirit we can only expect as a, as a deposit guaranteeing future payment. And, and that's why, in that moment, we will not just have what we have right now. We have, we have the kingdom that has come, but then we will have the kingdom complete. And that's why Jesus says in Revelation 21, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. From the echoes of eternity, Jesus shares with us, here's your eternal identity. You are God's kids. If you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are one of his children already, and you will experience the fullness of what that means in the kingdom. You're not just an outsider who was brought in. You're not just a dead person who was raised to life. You're not just a kingdom worker or a citizen in God's kingdom. You are part of the royal family. But it's interesting that Jesus says, those who are victorious will inherit this. And I started working through like, okay, what does it it mean to be victorious? What is contingent upon uh, having this victory? The more I started reading, I saw this moment where the Apostle Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 15, and he talks about this culminating day of resurrection and restoration, and here's what he writes. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We're not going to receive this kingdom as we are. But instead, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Paul goes on to say, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives the victory, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of the kingdom is not that you will become victorious through your own efforts. It's not that you will become victorious by persevering and holding out in your own strength. The promise of the kingdom is based on your hope in the king. Because he brings the victory. He will put enemies under his feet. He will kill death and do away with the accuser. He will end everything that is wrong. He will make everything that is right. And so it is based on our hope and trust and faith in him. And so if you have been with us, maybe you're just this is your first time here this week, I'm glad you're with us. Or maybe you're somebody who's been around some of this fall, you've heard about this kingdom, you've heard us preach about Jesus the King and you still don't know what you believe. I can think of no better moment than to just plead with you, please, give up your kingdom. Repent of your sin. Walk away from your version of power or control or hope and come to Jesus because He has the victory. Come to Jesus because He has forgiveness. Come to Jesus because He has hope. Come to Jesus because He has a better identity for you than whoever the world is telling you to try to be. Jesus alone offers the victory to you and to everyone who will call on Him and put faith in Him, be baptized in His name. This is the promise of the King that He gives victory. And I'm praying that through this God is, God is tugging on your heart opening your your heart to this message that you're willing to receive and say, yeah, I'm ready. Today's the day. Don't wait. Experience a foretaste of eternity today and know a hope for tomorrow by trusting in Jesus, the King. Because through this, once the kingdom has come in full, the picture for us is that the King will reign forevermore. That's the glimpse of eternity that Scripture continues to give us. We started this message with Jesus saying he's going to come in glory with his angelic host and he will sit on his throne. He will reign. And Revelation paints the same picture. Chapter 22, John writes that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. he says, and they will reign forever and ever. The kingdom was always intended to glorify the king. The kingdom was always intended that we might know the king in full, experience his love, have a new eternal identity that can never be taken from us, have a freedom from bondage and pain because we are in the presence of the king who is love, who is peace, who is joy. And so that's all we're going to know in his presence. What's it all going to look like? Man, I don't, I don't know exactly What's eternity going to be like? I don't have all the answers. We're, we're planning on a series in 2020 where we'll talk about heaven. But for now, I want to focus on what hope does this give us today? This great promise that the kingdom will come. The king will return. It was about a year ago that I, I got on a plane, early morning flight, and I sat next to an 83-year-old man named Bud Wayne Scott bud had way too much energy for my taste that early in the morning i hadn't had coffee yet but we started talking and found out we were both followers of jesus and uh, through that flight we just got to know each other and bud shared quite a bit about his faith he shared about his wife what an inspiration that she was to him and he eventually revealed that she had died she had a long battle with cancer kind where they tried every experimental drug, every new treatment, every approach, and it seemed like everything was one step forward, four steps back. And he watched his wife deteriorate, and yet he watched her strength in faith as she looked at her coming death and how she clung to Jesus, her king. And I'll never forget, he he told me about this moment where a doctor was just trying to sympathize with them And the doctor looked at Bud's wife and said, I know you're in a dark valley right now. And without missing a beat, she responded, that's true, but you can't have a valley without a mountaintop on either side. Because of Jesus, she could know, I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you are with me and your promise of the kingdom come in full cannot be taken away. Some of you are in the valley right now. Some of you are walking with people who are in the valley right now, and the hope for you today is that there is a mountaintop called Zion, and you don't have to hike your way there, work your way there. You have to hang on to Jesus, and he will take us there. Jesus will gather us up and he will make the new heavens and the new earth and on the mountaintop we will gather around the throne and sing holy, holy, holy. We will be in his presence and know real love and real peace and we will stand to our feet and we will praise our king and we will know freedom like never before. That's the hope we cling to today. The kingdom is coming in full because the king is faithful so hold on and when you can't hold on let jesus hold you and then men and only then we will know the real joy the presence of the king let's pray together oh god thank you thank you for this hope pray you take these words this message will you will you make it an encouragement in our hearts through your spirit i pray for those who don't know what they believe about jesus would you would you open their hearts so that they would trust in you and i pray for those of us who we believe and yet we've been living out of a a wrong identity god help us to see our eternal kingdom identity as your children live from that encourage our hearts build us up give us strength to persevere Not in our power, but as you supply through your spirit. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, end everything wrong, make everything right. We cling to this promise. In the name of our King Jesus we pray, amen.